Hi, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Joining me today is Aubrey Fox, who was my colleague here at the Center for Court Innovation for about 15 years, where he helped set up a number of innovative programs that we run, including Bronx Community Solutions. And he is now helping out in various capacities as a consultant. And today, he and I are going to do a podcast together. So, Aubrey, let's tell listeners who we're speaking with today. We're interviewing Ray Brescia, who is an associate law professor at the Albany Law School. And so, why are we speaking with him? Well, Rob, as you know, we, uh, the Center for Court Innovation is known for our work on criminal court programs. And we operate criminal courts uh, in partnership with the New York State court system all over the city. The people may know uh, a little less is that we also have some new experiments in the civil justice space. So specifically, civil refers obviously to non-criminal, that's family, housing, that sort of thing? Exactly. So the two programs, uh, two of the programs that we're running now, um, one is called Poverty Justice Solutions, in which we uh, assign recent law school graduates to uh, nonprofit civil justice firms around the city, and they work mostly on housing court cases. We also have a new program called Legal Hands, where we employ volunteers and train and equip them to give advice to people who are facing issues um, in the hopes that it can help them keep out of court in the first place. And I know Poverty Justice Solutions is, is focused particularly on working with people who face evictions. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of um, the nonprofit uh, law, civil justice law firms in the city focus on eviction and housing court cases. And there's a immediately obvious reason why. Um, a lot of New Yorkers face issues with their housing. And we know now um, that there are some very direct links between housing and poverty. And so people who struggle to pay their rent, if they get evicted, there are all sorts of negative consequences that accrue from that. And so the city is paying a lot more attention to trying to intervene and at the very least provide legal representation who are, to people who are facing uh, eviction in housing court. So it's both a, a more humane approach, trying to prevent people from losing their homes, but there's a practical aspect, too, that it's going to cost the city uh, and impact uh, quality of life for, for both the tenants and, and people who live in the city if they don't prevent these evictions. Yeah, I mean, there's one estimate just produced by the city council that you could save about $300 million. The city, that is, could save about $300 million a year if it kept uh, around 5,000 families out of shelters. And it costs about $43,000 per family per year to put someone in uh, a shelter. And so, obviously, if there's an appropriate way to keep them in the, in the housing that they currently have and thus keep them from going into a homeless shelter, then it would seem uh, that everyone would be better off. So I guess the rationale is that without a, a representation, they may be uh, losing their, their homes, their tenancy uh, unfairly because they don't have the right, the right advocate legally. You know, if someone was articulating their, their position and their rights, they, they hopefully would be able to stay in their home. Yeah, I mean, the housing eviction cases are often very complicated um, and not sometimes the existing rules and laws aren't applied because, the, in this case, the defendant who's facing eviction doesn't know their rights, doesn't have legal representation. Um, and so it's an issue that the city is really uh, directly focused on. And as you say, not just because 
losing a house, your home is a huge personal crisis, but because um, the consequences of losing your home end up being faced by the city quite often. Well, so let's uh, let's get uh, Professor Brescia on the phone. And, and just so people understand, I'm actually in our office in Manhattan. You are in your uh, special studio in New Jersey, also known as your home. And uh, now we're going to be joined uh, by uh, Professor Brescia, who we're calling in his office. In Albany. In Albany. There you go. Yes. All right. Okay, let's get him on the line. Ray Brescia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And, and Ray, where, where we wanted to start was just to get you to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in public interest law. Well, it uh, goes back to being a young person uh, and being very concerned about uh, politics and the world and being very excited about things that were happening around me. Uh, I was a, you know, a child of the 70s, and so there was a lot of politics that went on in the 70s uh and uh, you know some of my earliest memories were of uh you know the end of the Vietnam War and then uh the uh, Nixon's resignation uh and I just have always been interested I think uh, it comes from a family that's very interested in political issues and and uh over the years uh, as I was growing up I realized that a lot of people uh, uh you know about whom I was reading in the newspaper were lawyers uh and uh you know involved in the issues that I was interested in and and that really sparked my interest in becoming a lawyer. And you've been deeply involved now in in the civil side of the law and civil justice. So you've observed recently how there's been growing interest in in civil justice. In fact, the city created uh, recently an office of civil justice, and and now there's talk of uh, what's being referred to as civil Gideon. And uh, Aubrey and I were curious, um, you know, if you could maybe explain what 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 civil Gideon means. It obviously refers, uh, Gideon refers to the uh, 1963 Supreme Court decision that gives people right to counsel in criminal cases. Um, what does that mean uh, for, on the civil side? Well, on the civil side, it, mean, it would mean the same thing for in civil cases as you see in criminal cases, in, in, in many criminal cases, not all criminal cases, lower level offenses, you don't have a right to counsel. But in the, on the civil side, uh, just like in, as in criminal side, on the criminal side, when people talk about civil Gideon, they mean a right to counsel in cases where you know, fundamental human rights are at stake, shelter, loss of benefits, uh, things like like that, and um, you know, the, the, if you look at sort of what the consequences are of of not having counsel in a in a criminal case and in a civil case, in in many of the the, the more the more impactful civil cases, the outcome is is you know can be the same. You know, someone could be institutionalized, someone could be incarcerated, someone could be you know their their freedom could be restricted if they become homeless, if they have to move into a shelter. So if, if the consequences are similar in, a, in certain civil cases as they are in some criminal cases, then the, the importance of counsel is, you know, is similar as well. And I think a lot of people don't understand. You know, they think that there's legal aid, and so people have a right to counsel in, uh, in, a, in, a, in an eviction case, but they just don't. Um, and you know, the number of, of people in a place like housing court in New York, which evicts 25,000 
thousand families a year, you know, low-income tenants uh, who can't afford an attorney, most of them do not have access to counsel, even though, you know, we do have, you know, phenomenal legal aid programs that can provide services to low-income people and to help them prevent eviction, uh, you know, short of the, uh, the funding that recently came down from the city of New York, uh, you know, in, in, in when I was practicing housing court in New York City, a very small fraction of low-income tenants had counsel, and that meant that they faced eviction without a lawyer, uh, and eviction cases can be very complicated. So I think what the, what the, the de Blasio administration is doing and what city council is proposing uh, is really going to expand access to justice in housing court and hopefully in other settings as well, uh, at least in New York City to ensure that in, in really important cases on the civil side, like in the criminal side, people have access to a free lawyer. Well, let me, let me just throw out some numbers, too, related to what you said. The, the Office of Civil Justice said that in 2013, only 1% of tenants in New York City housing court were represented by attorneys, but they project that with their investment of, I think, $100 million, the city's investment uh, in uh, fiscal year 2017, 27% uh, will be represented. One in four, basically, of tenants will be represented. So that that would be represent a dramatic um, shift. And and would you anticipate that that would then dramatically um, change outcomes? You know, fewer people would would in fact be evicted and have to move into shelters and that sort of thing. Certainly, it's going to do two primary things. Uh, one, it's going to ensure that many thousands of tenants have a fighting shot in housing court and uh if if once you do if you have a fighting chance uh you know most of the time a lawyer can make a huge difference in raising important defenses uh, negotiating uh, viable solutions that don't require the tenant losing his or her home, dismissing cases because uh, the landlord's case is weak. So first, in the first instance, many tenants who with representation are going to avoid eviction, period, full stop. I think a second uh, consequence of the increased number of uh, tenants with counsel is that landlords are going to bring fewer cases. Uh, they, you know, a lot of uh, landlords now uh, don't have to worry about uh, their tenant being represented, and they can bring trumped-up cases. They can bring cases that are weak, uh, and they know at the end of the day many tenants won't even show up to fight the case because they think that there's no hope in fighting the case because they don't have a, a lawyer. They don't know their rights. Uh, many move out when they get the eviction papers or simply sit back not knowing what they're supposed to do and don't defend themselves. Uh, and I think landlords count on that for at least a percentage of cases. And if they know that tenants are going to be represented, uh, not only are they only going to bring the strongest cases that they can, but they're not going to bring the cases that they think they can get by uh, on uh, weak claims. And, and one thing I find really interesting is um, you have the city investing a lot more in this area, but I guess I'm curious about the context here. What, what do you think is driving this idea that 
we should take a second look at the relationship between poverty and housing. Is it is it driven mostly by practical conditions on the ground? Is there an intellectual momentum that has developed that is starting to reframe these issues? I, I would like to, I would like to think that there are two main drivers of uh, seeing this issue as an access to justice issue. That is uh, an issue that focuses uh, that centers around the low-income people's lack of access to a lawyer, uh, and one is is moral. Uh, and it's based in our belief, our fundamental belief that, you know, in our democratic system, people should have the right to defend themselves adequately in a court of law when legal claims are made against them. So that's, that's the moral case to be made for access to justice. But I think, more practically, that there's a fiscal case that can very easily be made for the investment of counsel. Counsel in a in a in a housing case is usually provided by uh, a nonprofit for you know roughly about three thousand dollars a case, right? That, that you know you, they're you know, reimbursed for the number of cases they handle for about three thousand dollars a case. A family that is evicted that goes through the shelter system costs the city about thirty thousand dollars. Uh, so it just if you can by the provision of a lawyer, you can prevent that family from becoming homeless. You're saving the city and the the people of the city of New York and any other jurisdiction that that takes this view. You're saving them lots of money. So there's an absolute moral case, uh, but also a practical fiscal case. It's interesting that you say uh, that the, the lawyer only gets 3000 which um, makes me think about the uh, attractiveness of going into civil justice law for uh, law students today. I mean, there is a, a trimmed-down market on the, on the corporate or the, the other side of, or the, the, the money-making side, so to speak, of, of the legal profession. Are, is it more attractive? Are you seeing a shift? Are more law students um, interested in in civil justice, especially as as uh, you know, there's more interest and more need for lawyers, as as there is at least a little more money to pay for them. I think a lot of people go to law school. A lot of law students go to law school because they want to make a difference. Uh, and they want to do work that is meaningful, that makes a real difference in people's lives. Too often, uh, law school debt, uh, practical realities, economic realities, drive students away from those reasons that they went to law school to begin with. Uh, and the, the more that, that, that funding is made available uh, as the, the, the Blasio administration is making such funding available for nonprofits to represent low-income tenants in housing court and hopefully in other settings, uh, there'll be more opportunities for students to get back to the reasons they went to law school in the first place. So we've talked mostly about housing court, but there are other types of civil uh, legal cases. And I just wonder if you want to bring up another example of the kind of case where a good attorney could really make a difference in the lives of somebody in a particular type of case. Well, you you know, there's a, another area that's gotten a lot of attention lately is consumer debt. 
that uh, you know consumers that that you know which are you know everybody people can can uh, mount up consumer debt from an old credit card from an old uh, cell phone bill uh, maybe they move they don't get the last bill and uh, penalties can accrue and the uh, the consumer can can face a lawsuit in in court for you know something you know a, a $200 bill with fines and penalties can can quickly become something that escalates and grows into a two three five thousand dollar bill that um, you know the, the filing of a lawsuit against them alone will impact their credit score and they find that their wages are garnished, their bank accounts are frozen, they can't pay the rent, they can't you know, buy things like medication or food. Uh, and so, that, you know, another area where lawyers can make a real difference where, I mean, it's hard to say that, uh, that, a, that a defendant is, fewer defendants get represented in consumer debt cases than in housing court cases because 1% of case, you know, housing court cases, the tenant has, a, has representation, but it's actually less than 1% in at least in New York City, according to, to research that uh, the Urban Justice Center did years ago, uh, less than 1% of tenants have uh, representation. Uh, that can have a real impact on people's lives and can spiral into an eviction case if they can't pay their rent or a hospitalization if they can't get uh, medication to keep them out of the hospital. So uh, that's another area. And, and these are very straightforward cases. There are often very strong Defenses that a pro se person, someone without a lawyer, doesn't really know how to raise such defenses. But with a lawyer, uh, that defendant can easily raise very strong defenses and often get the cases dismissed. Uh, our experience uh, is, has been, and, and lawyers who do this work, that the mere presence of a lawyer in a case is enough to get the plaintiff to simply withdraw the case, that they don't want to fight it because they know that there are so many strong defenses that will be raised by a lawyer uh, who is worth his or her salt. Uh, you know, it's like in Harry Potter, it's, it's like the, um, the, 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 the character, you know, what, what is the, um, they, they, uh, they can call out their, their, uh, their character that, that helps them defeat yeah. the, uh, the, the, the evil beings. Like it's, what's, what's, it's not a horcrux. They're Patronus. They're Patronus. The Patronus, exactly. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's like a Patronus. You can you can call forth your lawyer, and the plaintiff just runs away. <laughs> well, it sounds like a situation that is also ripe for abuse. Then that that that, as you say, as you said, with housing cases, if consume people in these uh, br- bringing these consumer cases, these debt cases, knew knew a lawyer would be there, they're less likely to even bring the case because they know that, that's right. Um, there maybe isn't a lot of substance to it. Um, I wonder what about uh, the Center for Coordinate Innovation in collaboration with several uh, partners also has a program called Legal Hand, which um, basically gives advice to, to pro se litigants. And, uh, you know, they can go to a community uh, walk-in um, a walk-in storefront uh, situation and get some advice. And I wonder how, you know, short of providing an attorney, um, you know, and perhaps in some cases where, you know, an attorney, there isn't enough money to give everyone an attorney yet, but at least giving them some legal advice. How, how useful is that, do you think? Does that also have a practical uh, impact? 
I think it does. You have to do uh, what we call in the legal services world effective triage. You have to identify cases where uh, they're relatively straightforward, uh, where advice alone is enough to um, arm the tenant with the information or, or the, the whoever the party is that you know the party seeking the information you know that, that it's a it's a straightforward case where simple information would be enough to prepare him or her to defend him or herself in court or in an administrative proceeding like a welfare hearing uh, or the DMV, wherever it is. Uh, you know, so it, it depends on a number of factors. I think the first factor is the, uh, the, the complexity of the case. Is it a case where straightforward information that's easy to understand is enough? Uh, so the person can defend his or her rights. Uh, and then it will depend also on the uh, two other things, I think, the, the what's at stake and then uh, the ability of the individual in the context he or she finds him or herself in to use the information uh, obtained effectively. So uh, things that are at, uh, where, where there's high risk, um, you know, Warren Buffett doesn't deal with issues, you know, billion dollar deals without a lawyer, uh, someone who's facing an eviction or the loss of a child uh, or, uh, you know, the, the termination of welfare benefits, uh, given what's at stake. Uh, it's very difficult uh, to say to that person, you know, that although we do it every day, uh, you know, you, you don't get a lawyer. Um, so w with, with what's at stake, I think that's another factor to think about because of the, the risk of loss. Of, of what's at stake. Um, and then is this individual uh, someone who can manage the case with a little bit of information or is it someone because of disability or because of the complexity of the case can't uh, handle the issue uh, on uh, his or her own? Uh, it, you know, so you, you sort of have to go through a series of questions to triage uh, each case to determine is this a case where a little bit of information is going to be enough so that person can protect his or her rights or are there, uh, there are enough of these variables that say wait a minute this is a person who needs your full representation. Well thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Aubrey and me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks Ray. So we've been speaking with Ray Brescia who is an associate professor at Albany Law School and he's been speaking with us about trends in civil justice and some of the exciting things that have been happening here, particularly in New York City. And to find out more about the Center for Court Innovation and some of our civil justice programs, and in fact, all our programs, you can visit us at our website at www.courtinnovation.org. And uh, I, am, I am Rob Wolf, Director of Communications, and my co-host today is Aubrey. You want to say who you are again? I'm Aubrey Fox, and I, I'm going to try to find a Patronus after this uh, interview. <laughs> <laughs> I stay sound useful. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening. <laughs>